Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. And he's your host, Kerry Shale. But he's our special guest, author and broadcaster, David Hepworth. I started out on Burgundy, but soon hit the harder stuff. Everybody said they'd stand behind me when the game got rough. But the joke was on me, there was nobody even there to bluff. I'm going back to New York City. I do believe I've had enough. David, we asked you to uh, to choose a few lines uh, from a Dylan song uh, and just share them with us. Uh, no particular reason. Why did you share those lines? I chose that because it's one of my favourite moments on television, actually. Uh, probably 20 years ago, the late TV chef Keith Floyd... <laughs> You know, who used to keep us all uh, richly amused while drinking himself to death on television. And, uh, and, you know, the cooking for him was largely an excuse to drink a lot. Mm. And I remember seeing him do this dish live on television. And he started to very often start with a slosh of something red. In that case, it's burgundy. And then he started, he said, I started off on burgundy and soon hit the hard stuff. And then he proceeded to, while cooking the meal... Do the whole of Just Like Tom Thumb's Blues. Absolutely all the way through. And I realised as watching it, I thought, do you know, I could probably do that as well. You know, that, that succession of lines is completely inside me. Mm. And it kind of, it sums up lots of things I think about popular music and things, things I think about Bob Dylan and things I thought about again when, you know, not long ago, there was this ridiculous business of him being given the Nobel Prize for Literature, for goodness sake. Um, you know, because that's a classic case, those four lines. You know, the the, you, the, the word bluff purely mm. turns up in order for him to be able to, be able to rhyme, you know, enough, tough, you know, and mm. so forth. That's what a songwriter does. You know, a songwriter is a... Songwriters are cheats by nature. You know, they're, 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 they're con artists. They're escape artists. Yeah. Poets are not like that at all. You go and read Larkin. Every word in Larkin is completely weighed. Mm. He's thought about it for absolutely for ages. And I suppose it's the great contrast to the story that's told about um, Bob Dylan asking Leonard Cohen how long it took him to write Hallelujah. Yeah. And what Leonard Cohen said, I don't know, months or years. Or he said years. Years, yeah, yeah. OK. And he you know, if you if you read Alleluia is a poem, mm, yeah. uh, and, and and you you can see where the years went. You know, in shaving it until it's absolutely perfect. So, do you not think that Dylan has any song lyrics that you you would consider poetry? Not particularly, because I consider their song lyrics. For goodness' sake, I don't waste my time trying to pretend Cole Porter is poetry. Cole mm-hmm. Porter writes song lyrics and brilliant song lyrics, and Bob Dylan writes. Brilliant song lyrics, very often for brilliant song lyrics for Bob Dylan to sing. Mm. Slightly different yeah. than the case of, of Cole Porter. You know, he's he's a different thing. He's a performance artist. You know, he wasn't entirely joking all those years ago when he said, I'm a song and dance man. Mm-hmm. He, he is. You know, he he, he, he exists. He's, his art exists when it's being performed in front of you, you know. Dare and, I say, uh, like Shakespeare at all? I mean, well, I, I suppose so. Yeah. Well, I, all right. You're, you're trying to trap me now, <laughs> aren't you? Uh, but you say, okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, That's what he would but, say. I think. Yeah, well, maybe. Except, not all Shakespeare's, you know, words were designed to be sung. 
Uh, true, that's true. And Bob Dylan's are. Do you think? And, and also, I tell you what got me really. Mm. Do you know what I thought it was all about? I thought it was a terrible conspiracy to to continue something that is, I think, one of the most abominable facets of modern life, which is when any artist dies nowadays, they are introduced. Their death is announced on the BBC News by saying. Six times Booker Prize winner, yeah. mm. or you know, mm. Mm. Rock and Roll Prize Hall of winner, Fame inductee, Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame, and now they can say <clears throat> Bob Dylan when he finally turns his toes up, which I'm, I hope will be long in the future. They can go Nobel Prize winner. Yeah. Well, hurrah for yeah. God's sake! If you need the Nobel Prize to tell you what's good about Bob Dylan, you will never understand. What's good about Bob Dylan? It's completely wasted on you. You're looking for the wrong things. Mm. You're looking for things that aren't there, and you're probably ignoring the things that are there. You know, so prizes, schmizers. You know, I've completely had enough of them. And uh, I think the only reason Bob Dylan did it was he gets a large check, doesn't he? Yes, he and Bob yeah, Dylan huge likes check. a yeah, large yeah, yeah. check, yeah. and yeah. God bless him for that. Yeah, yeah. but he, I think he didn't accept it uh, for a day or two, did he? He didn't he cut it fine. issue no, anything. Just make sure it cleared. Yeah. <laughs> No, he, he had to. He had to. Accept I didn't mean the check. I meant the award. <laughs> he had to accept it within a certain time period yes. to get the check. Yeah. And yeah. I think everyone was going. He's kind of a bit fine. He's only got a couple yeah. of days to go. Yeah, this is but not I mean, he like doesn't. Him. He famously doesn't like to be put in boxes, and as you say, that puts him in the box. That's the obit written right there. Yeah. And maybe he didn't know how exactly how much money he was going to get as well. Yeah, well, but, but I suppose also they, they guys like this, they do think. They, they get to the point in life where they think, I'd like to win an Oscar and so forth. He won an Oscar. He's got well, an Oscar. He keeps the Oscar on stage with him, He's probably he? got a trophy yeah. room somewhere yeah. where he get you know, literature prizes, film prizes, performance prizes. Yeah. probably like to have a football prize. probably yeah. like to have the golden boot from the World Cup or something like that if he lives long enough. I think the Super Bowl is more his thing. OK. Really. Or yeah, golf. Yeah. I think he's quite into his golf. Is he? Is he he's still boxing. Into, he's no in a boxing. No idea. Did, he, did Bob Dylan ever play golf? Is that true? He's made bol- He's made golfing jokes. I do know that <laughs> about you know a, a shirt and a hole in one or something, but I'm not sure if he actually played golf. My favourite Bob Dylan joke is a tennis joke. Right, you must know this. Well, no, go on. He said, "My my girlfriend's a tennis umpire. Love means nothing to her." <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Did he tell that on the? I uh, think he on told the, stage, uh, didn't he? I don't know because I, he used to always tell these bad jokes on uh, theme time radio hour. Yeah, oh, they were yeah, yeah. so so bad, every one of them. But they always made me laugh. Like I've almost been in traffic accidents listening to that thing because I couldn't believe he would tell mother-in-law jokes and yeah, lots the of most vaudevillian, jokes. you know, old-fashioned. Now, stuff. Now you, you must have listened to far more theme time ro- radio hour than I did. I mm. had quite a few. I mean, I really enjoyed it. But the thing that fascinated me about it was. It seemed to me that every single word was being read off script. Absolutely. Yeah. You could hear him rattling the script. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it, but what I, I mean, I, I loved it. I, I actually loved the, the, the script rattles and, and every, right. and, and I liked the way he invented a new persona for it because, you know, the way that he, you know, he was 19 and 57. It, absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he'd never the, spoken like that no, before. No, nobody he was has ever playing spoken like Bob that. Dylan, playing this guy yeah. named Bob Dylan, as always. And at one point when he was reading, I can't remember what it was, but he, he screwed it up and he went, and then he did it again. He went, and then he, and he said, you try. I see in this. It's hard, you know. And and sort of like and everybody cracked up. And that was 
quintessential Bob Dylan. It was great. But the, the, the fakeness of it was, was very Bob Dylan. Mm. Well, also, I suppose it sounded like kind of 1940s radio, didn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, in the, in the early days of radio, they used to script interviews, didn't they? Yes. They didn't do the lot. Yeah, you you write down what you were going to ask and you write down what they were going to answer and then they read it. And those phone calls were all totally, terribly scripted. Oh, completely. And the emails and, you know. Yeah, we've got so-and-so on the line. Yeah. See, Bob. Hi, Bob. But actually, sometimes they were real people, people who I don't know where the hell they got them and say, Bob, do you? No, I'm not going to do that. You know, sometimes he would just set them up and just not do it. So why did he stop doing it? Did the money run out? He did 101. Was it really? He did it for three seasons. Yeah, I heard them all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when he started, we couldn't believe our luck that we had this thing. And it was 10, and then it was 20, and then it was 50. And when it got to 100, I thought, well, that's, you know... We, none of us thought we'd get that many. No, he'd never done anything really except tour really? the world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. he showed he showed no consistency in anything else. <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> no, it's no, thirty but... years this year, isn't it? Since the never-ending tour began, I think. I know, and if you go to Spotify, which I've become recently enamored of, you can see every day, because I've been listening to a lot of Bob Dylan lately, you know, he's playing Podunk, Ooh, Iowa, no, and Nowheresville, then New it, Jersey. Yeah. Then again, everybody is, aren't mm. they? You know, if you go and look I up guess absolutely so. anybody. I was writing a thing the other day about Blondie, mm. and uh, I was writing about when they made Heart of Glass in... What are we talking about? Come on, 78, 79. And they didn't even want to put it in the album, really, and it was Mike Chapman persuaded them and so forth. And, and I was just making the point that, you know, this utterly changed their life. Mm. And I, 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 I looked up where they were playing that night, and it was yeah. Moose Droppings, Ohio. <laughs> you know? and, I, and, and, and I looked at the set list, which, of course, you can do nowadays. You can find yeah. out where yeah. everybody's playing and what they mm-hmm. played. And sure enough, Heart of Glass, the song that they didn't want to do in 1979, yeah. they're still doing all those years later. Yeah. You know, So everybody's... Now, it's funny, the, ever, the never-ending tour thing, I think I checked this not long ago, because my, my theory about in defense of rock journalists... We're not attacking rock journalism. Well, you can do if you want out of mind. I think if rock journalism has one thing to be really proud of, it's the fact that very often it made not very interesting people more interesting than they actually were. Mm -hmm. And And for every case that I've come across of a journalist distorting an artist's words in order to traduce them in some way... They've been far outnumbered by the cases where the, the journalist has, has twisted the words in order to make them look better, make them look cooler. And I think I'm right in saying that the never-ending tour trope, mm-hmm. I think we can call it that now, yeah. was said to Adrian Devoy of Q in yeah. mm. God knows when, the late mm. 80s or something like that. And where he said, you know, he was talking to him, he was interviewing him, and he said something like, this tour that you're on at the moment, he says, well, I'm, I'm always on tour. And he said, they just never end. And so it was Adrian who said, so you're on a never-ending tour. And Bob Dylan said, yeah, that's right. right. And so Adrian invented the brand mm, of the never-ending tour. So God bless Adrian for doing yeah. that. And then Dylan, um, was it the liner notes for um, World Gone Wrong? I think he's, he 
it was interesting in the early 90s because he'd been very quiet and he'd not written a song in ages and suddenly he came out in these liner notes in World Gone Wrong as this very clear, sharp individual, totally at odds with this persona that he had in public. And he said about the never-ending tour, he said, let's just get this straight. The never-ending tour, it's not a never-ending tour anymore. That ended in... 89 when, when G. Smith. Now it's the, the Money Never Runs Out tour, and after that it's the... Oh, really? Summer, yeah, and he went through all the tours since then in, in minute the detail. The Alimony tour, yeah. Yes, exactly. I was just reading about, uh, again, for a thing I'm writing, uh, I was reading about his tour at the time of Street Legal. Hmm. Now, what year is that? You're going to be better on the years than that's, I... That's 78. 78 or something. Yeah, yeah. probably around about the same yeah. time as Blondie, actually. And, uh, and he, that's when he goes to Japan. Yeah. That's when he does the Budokan yeah, album. Yeah. And that's when he really starts playing absolutely all the time because he's got to pay off his... He got divorced in California. Yeah. You know, which always fascinates me, you know, that they've... Uh, even if you've written Mr. Tambourine Man, yeah. you still need the money, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know? I was talking to somebody about a... I don't know if one... You know, I feel funny. You couldn't do this on the radio. Can you do it on Paul? Cast. There's a famous Austin singer-songwriter who's been married uh, and divorced seven times, and uh, they said that right. they they knew him, and they said, "Yeah, his, you know, his life is dedicated to paying alimony. That's it. He's still on the road. He wants to be on the road. He's still singing great oh, songs. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But mm. that's really, you know, he well, can't they, yeah, not be on the road. They've got complicated lives. These people, you know. I mean, Bruce Springsteen. Not a wildly complicated life by standards, really. You know, but mm. Bruce Springsteen got married in, when are we talking about, 85, 86, mm. something, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And at the absolute peak of his earning, and then got divorced about a year later yeah. and gave her half of it. <laughs> Just after born the USA, yeah. Not bad. You know, so some would say that's quite a good deal, be yeah. married to Bruce Springsteen for a year and then get... More money than God has, you yes. know. Uh, but you know, these these people they 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 keep on working. You know, mm. I've always had this theory that they, uh, and this applies to uh, you know Bob Dylan and it applies to Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney or whatever. All these people, they're like they're like kind of ancient monarchs that they sit ancient at, Roman kings. Well, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, right. They sit at the at the apex of a kind of triangle of dependence. Mm-hmm. Below them, there are just going off into the distance. There are tens, hundreds, possibly thousands of people yeah. who who could, do not eat if Bob Dylan doesn't earn. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I road crew, musicians, mm-hmm. ex-wives of musicians, children, grandchildren. He'll probably have great grandchildren by now. You know. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think any of those people are going out and working as lawyers, or you know, or <laughs> stacking shelves in, in in Walmart or anything. You know, they're they're, they're uh, living the life of a descendant of Bob Dylan. Yeah. probably expects to live. David, can I ask you a personal question? Oh, there are no others. There are no others. <laughs> um, I just to start because we've just jumped into this thing. What was your? This is a very David Hepworth question. What was your gateway drug? What was your gateway song or gateway album, gateway Dylan moment? When well, did you first hear it's Dylan? It's funny. I, I, I can tell you exactly when I first heard Bob Dylan because it's a, it's a curious it, – it, it gives you an idea of what life was like then. Because I always say I was born in 1950, which in, in pop music terms is the winning ticket in the lottery of life. So I was kind we of – read both books. Yeah, there you go. Yes, yes. Used, all my – none of my lines are new. Loving your work. <laughs> so Bob Dylan. And um, so, you know, I was 13 when the Beatles came along. And um, 
and I first became aware of Bob Dylan when I was I read about him really in the in the kind of Record Mirror or the NME or whatever that other people were doing his songs and I was aware of his songs done by other people. Mm. I think I was even aware of Peter, Paul and Mary doing Blowing in the Wind or Times Zero Changed or whatever. Yeah. Of course, Peter, Paul and Mary in those days used to come over and do the London, Sunday night at the London Palladium. You know, they used to headline. And But I'd never actually heard Bob Dylan. But I was enthused by the idea of Bob Dylan because I was, I was one of those kids who, who you know... Like the idea of the Rolling Stones, and also like the idea of knowing about Howling Wolf via the Rolling Stones, yes. you know. Mm. So it's kind of the similar mm. thing with mm. with Bob Dylan and you know the animals and so forth. And um, and there then appeared a notice in school saying that the folk club, which was run by the sixth forms, sixth forms of war far above us, you know, mm. they were going to have what they called a recital of Bob Dylan, and me and my friend David Gosney, who. Um, we both we were both at the time under the impression that his name was actually pronounced Dylan. Oh, great, Bob <laughs> Dylan. Now that's how little he was heard on the radio wow. or television. Wow. You know, that's how little anybody was heard on the radio and television in those days because they hardly ever played any records on the radio in those days yeah. pre-radio one. Um, and so it was just something you read about. And it was only when we turned up in the geography room. And Richard Hughes, who was the head boy, appeared with the with the wood panelled school record player and announced that he was going to play some records by Bob Dylan. That we looked at each other. My goodness! And he then, I think, probably the first thing I heard was um, was the kind of talking New York thing off the first first record okay. where he said in a rather superior fashion, you know, Richard Hughes said, well, of course, he got all this from Woody Guthrie. And we're looking at each other. Who's Woody Guthrie? Whatever. And so I heard that and then he played, I don't know, Times That Are Changing and probably they probably played another side of. Mm. And he said, well, that that is now the mature Bob Dylan. He oh, said, right. <laughs> how late, late foolish period, we yeah. all <laughs> Absolutely. That's the point. Late period. Yeah, he's kind of perfected his eyes. He's got it all sorted out now. And I can remember hearing this in this in this schoolroom and genuinely thinking that's an extraordinary sound. And 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 the, the the I was reminded of it a few years ago when that Cohen Brothers film came out oh, yeah. inside so, Lewin, Lewin Davis. Davis yeah, yeah. Which finishes with mm. Bob Dylan, really. You don't see him, but you see him from behind, singing whatever that song is called. It's from the very early days, yeah. but it, it Turn up on the soundtrack. It's a brilliant, brilliant recording, and uh, and and that was exactly the feeling I got from hearing him. That you thought this sounds fuller than anything I've heard before. What had you been listening to before that? Well, I'd heard all. You know, I just heard what things that kids listen to on the radio, and I'd I'd heard and loved the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and, and still do, and all that stuff. And, but I, you know, if I'd heard anybody doing folk songs, it'd probably been. It'd have been Peter Paul and Mary, or it'd have been Peter, Pete Seeger doing Little Boxes, or something like that, or Burl Ives. So it wasn't uh, Lead Belly or any of those. No, guys. you wouldn't have heard no, it. No, you wouldn't have. No, not a. Not you would have found out about them point. through. I'd, yeah, yeah I Dylan don't think, and the yeah. Stones. And uh, I've, <laughs> I've found there's a certain kinship with the sort of stuff that I'd heard on children's radio in those days. They used to have children's favourites on Saturday morning. It used to be presented by Uncle Mac. 
And the favourite songs were always things like cowboy songs, mm. Ghost Riders in the Sky mm-hmm. and things like that, you know. And, of course, when I read about Bob Dylan, he was very keen on all that, wasn't he? Yeah. And where did, where, did he, where did he get the word, where did he pinch the name Dylan from? Not Dylan Thomas, from Marshall Dylan. Dylan. Marshall yeah, Matt Dylan, Dylan yeah. in uh, Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Was it yeah. Gunsmoke? Yeah. Um, you know, so I've always I, they, they'd say it wouldn't make a book, book, but it would make a chapter in a book. The connections between cowboys and rock and roll. Yeah. The connections mm. between TV cowboys. Because I think they're a continuation. You know what I mean? Well, there's that great moment in that um, that outtake from Don't Look Back when he sees John Mayall's Blues Breakers and he sees Eric Clapton for the first time. And he says he looks like Wyatt Earp. Oh, really? Isn't he? There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Just absolutely perfect. These guys, they dress like cowboys. Yeah. They and now carry he themselves like cowboys. Now he dresses like a cowboy. Absolutely. A cowboy yeah. and a guy in a Mexican canteen. <laughs> Or yeah. something. Like El- elderly yeah. cowboy. <laughs> but it, and it's also interesting to me that, um, and I wrote about this in my book about rock stars, that, um, that I think rock stars behave like rock stars. They take to behaving like rock stars before they are rock stars. Elvis Presley mm-hmm. was well known in Memphis for being that really odd-looking 16-year-old yeah. who... Who appears to have blue hair? Mm. <laughs> you know, at a time when nobody did, and uh, and if you read about Bob Dylan in, in his great transformation, but he he comes from you know leaves Hibbing or whatever, mm. and then goes to the University of Minnesota, and and then goes to New York, and somewhere along the way he just <laughs> turns himself into this completely different person, yeah. and and some people remark that when they met him in the street, people who knew him. He talked in an odd way. They asked him questions, and he had deliberately kind of, you know, evasive, epigrammatic responses. You know what I mean? Well, I read something the other day where they said it was, again, they'd interviewed like six people in New York around that time when he just got in New York, and each one knew a different Bob Dylan Mm. because he was trying out his various Bob Dylans. Mm. Like there's one picture that that my wife gave me on a a postcard at one point. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's one where he looks about 12 years old, but he isn't. He's like, he's whatever. How old was he in New York? 20? 21? 21? He's got the hat on, the one that he has on his first album, and he's hitching up his trousers yeah, yeah, yeah. and and sort of smiling and and he he looks like he looks like a joker actually yeah. he looks like a joker but but he doesn't look like like that in any of the other photos that I've seen he's always he's it's really surprising to me that he's such a terrible actor on screen because he's such a good he's, actor in real life absolutely yeah absolutely he doesn't need to be an actor on screen because you know the stage is his kind of yeah, the stage is his, is his medium. But I'm, or I'm, having his picture taken. Is, yeah, exactly. Was his medium. You were saying, you were showing me the Don't Look Back cover just before this. Yeah, and saying, yeah. That is like, with, with the shades and the, the cigarettes and mm. the black and white, that's a rock star. That's, he invented being a rock star. I think you wrote about that. Well, maybe. he invented, yeah. yeah, certainly being a, a certain kind of rock star, yeah. I mean, it's always fascinated me that, you know, <laughs> yes, yeah, that one. That's a classic <clears throat> picture in the yeah. back of the limo. Yeah. With the, yeah, because if you ask a fashion director nowadays, you know, style me a rock star, they'll do something that looks yeah. like, like that or, or Keith Richards. Yeah. That's the kind of, that's the cliche of a rock star. But it fascinates me that, uh, you know, he came to New York and he's interviewed on kind of public radio, isn't he, or something like that. Mm. And 
where have you been? Oh, I ran away with the circus when I was 10. Yeah. I learned how to play guitar from a one-eyed black man called Wigglefoot. <laughs> no, you didn't. <clears throat> I've been riding but, trains. And, yeah. But nobody yeah. wanted to argue with him. No, of course. Because you thought, great, he's a star. And I, was, I went to see the other week Jeff Muldar. Do you know mm-hmm. Jeff Muldaur? Jeff Muldaur, yeah. terrific musician, probably famously married. Was that married the Green to, Note? Did he play the Green, the green Note? They played the Green yeah. Note in Camden Town. A terrific guitar player, a terrific singer, really interesting bloke. And, um, and of course, he comes the same generation, you know. And he came out, you know, Cambridge, Massachusetts, folk scene and so forth. And he just told a story about, which I won't attempt to tell, but he was telling a story about sitting, we used to sit around and play Monopoly with Bob Dylan. And it must be really odd for all those guys. Mm. You know, I don't know, Dave Van Ronk and Maria Muldaur or mm. whatever. Mm. Jeff Muldaur. All those people, they were all they were all Lewin Davises of their time, weren't they? They're all talented. Mm-hmm. They're all hardworking. But this one guy, and they must think about it all the time. This one guy somehow pulled off stuff that none of us could pull off, you know what I mean? Well, and he's them... still pulling it off to this day. I think a lot of them were stepping stones to his process, weren't they? Like Dave Van Ronk's arrangement of The House of the Rising Sun. Yep, I love that. Um, yes. Is it Paul Nelson, who's uh, the records he, he knew? Oh, yeah, he you know, took it, Paul, Nelson, yeah. Paul Nelson's records. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Do you remember, I mean, because you were, you, were, you were talking about listening to that early stuff at, at school, do you remember that moment when you were, I guess you were 15, when he, when he plugged in at Newport and went electric? Do you remember your, your listening habits around that time? Do you remember how they changed? Did they change? It didn't change much at all because... You know, we we were very, we were very liberal and accepting yeah. because whatever we heard, we'd never heard it before. We know, no, when you're 15 in 1965, you don't go. Oh, I think the birds, ten Mister Tambourine Man, has rather missed the essence. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't do that. You just go. Well, Bob Dylan, he's great, and there's the birds. They're great, mm. but in a slightly different way because they're kind of glamorous, and you know, they're a group I'd like to join or whatever. Um, you know, I no, I, it didn't jar with me at all. No. Did you hear him live? When was the first time you heard him live? Oh, I can't remember. When did I hear, first hear, hear him live? Well, see, see him, him, live. him live. Yeah. God, when did I first see Bob Dylan live? Sixties? No, no, not in the sixties. No. Earl's so, Court seventy-eight. Maybe it, 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 it'd be, it, it, Blackbush around okay. about that day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so, so what phase was he in at that point? Well, like street was legal, isn't yeah, it? It's all, late 70s, yeah, it's all around there. I kind of lost a bit of interest, really, by that point. Yeah, uh, I was never that mad about blood on the tracks and so forth. Interesting. <laughs> Just, not for me, you know. I, I, I always, I never liked Bob Dylan when he appeared to be on message. Right. I always liked the idea that he, you know, he doesn't give a whatever. Yeah, yeah, because. Yeah. You know, in my experience with rock stars, most rock stars, no matter who they are, they want you to like them. Yeah. Bob Dylan really doesn't care. No. And I, I have interviewed him, and I have the scars to prove yes. that he really doesn't care. So yeah. tell us about the interview, David. <laughs> yeah. This well, is I've told this story but millions of times. I, I mean, I, 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 I want to hear the story, but I, can you just preface it with, before you're about to interview the famous Bob Dylan, I'm really interested... Um, I don't know if it was just another gig to you, but how did it feel? Did it feel different to a regular gig or was it just another gig? What do you mean, to interview him? Yeah. Oh, no, I was absolutely petrified. 
What, sorry, what year was this? 86. This, is this was during his, his little yeah. unfortunate earring. Unfortunate earrings, unfortunate leather, leather, yeah. leather motorcycle gloves, you know. Yeah. Uh, extraordinary, uh, you know, stuff to be wearing. And, and at the so point. Did he, did he keep you waiting? That's. Uh, not. Well, yeah, a bit. There was a bit. There was a bit of that. I was conducted into it. It was done. It was done after their sound check in Madison Square Garden. I was conducted into this dressing room. And there he was. He didn't get up, as you might expect, mm-hmm. you know. And he he was smoking. And there was a huge dog at his feet. And he proffered a kind of wet fish, semi-leather <laughs> shake, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, and we proceeded to go to do that strange dance, which is the celebrity interview, mm. the rock star celebrity interview. Where you where you pretend that it's a kind of easy social interaction, while at the same time inside you, inside him is is one thought: don't give anything away that you don't want to give away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside you is only one thought, which is Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan over there. Over there. <laughs> it's Bob Dylan. And and uh, you know, there's a break in the interviews that, which honestly, the sweat was dripping off me because I was. I was not getting very far, and you always think, I've got to get some quotes, I've got to get some lines or something. And, you, of course, you can't get that out of Bob Dylan. It doesn't work like that. Mm. And, um, and there was a break in the interview, and the woman from the record company said to him, how's it going, Bob? And he says, I don't know, he keeps asking me questions. <laughs> and uh, which, you know, I went back to the office and told Mark Ellen this, and uproarious laughter, you know. Everybody laughed about it for years. Mm. Later, I came to I came to have a great deal of sympathy with this point of view. You know, because what am I asking him questions for? What's anybody mm. asking him questions for? He's not a politician. He's not a football manager. You know, did, did he try to break you down at all? No, not really. That's I think when you know that something might happen. You know, when you see him in the various films and interviews where he's turned. And tried to sort of destroy the journalist. <laughs> no, I did. But then that's when things that. actually can he, happen. He, he wasn't. He wasn't. He didn't do that. But uh, there's a, there's a few things that I I still treasure from it. That uh, I said to him, the dog, a huge, great, slobbering, great hound at my feet, and I said, "What's the dog called?" And he says, "He has no name." <laughs> and then. I'd I'd moved on to some other subject. And then, proving that even Bob Dylan can't resist making a witticism, he says, no, 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 he's late for dinner. <laughs> he's called late for dinner. And I'd know, I'd, I didn't know what he's talking about. It's only later I thought, it's the old joke about, call me anything it's you like. It's time radio in advance. Don't yeah. ever call me yeah. late for dinner, you know. <laughs> and um, and here's, here's interesting. Um... Well, if you can't say this on a Bob Dylan podcast, what can you, where can you say it? Um, I was trying to get him to talk about Blind Willie McTell. Because at the time, he, that tune was out there, but I don't think he put it out. No, he hadn't. No. And everybody thought the same thing, which is, why the hell isn't he putting this thing out? It was wonderful. And uh, I just tried to get him to talk about Blind Willie McTell. Mm. And he, wasn't, he just wouldn't go there. And uh, I kept returning, kept trying to get... Wasn't going anywhere. 
And then when I moved on to another subject, he said to me, do you know the McPeak family? And I, I had to confess I didn't. And I later on, when I went home, looked them up. Pre-internet, you mm, had to get a book mm, out. Mm, yeah. And the McPeak family were, I think, from Northern Ireland, a great traditional, you know, Northern Irish folk family, mm-hmm. Carter family type vintage, go back many generations, mm. all that. And I always got the feeling what he was trying to say was, you guys come over here talking about flying with a tell, and you don't know anything about your own culture. Yeah. Which I think is a perfectly fair point. Yeah. He may have been... May have been a bit bitchy about it, but you know. But it, would, it also might have been an entry question because I remember uh, the guy who was the guitarist for the band at the 30th anniversary concert. Can't remember his name. He used G. to be Smith. Yes, that's right. God, you know everything. Yes, Tragic. and I, I, I was listening to an interview with him, and he was just told to show up by Dylan's manager with his with his group at this rehearsal room, something to do with Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan walked in, and they started playing a bunch of Dylan songs. It wasn't going that well. And then Dylan said, do you know, and it was an obscure Appalachian yeah. musician. Yeah. And he said, sure, blah. He said, let's play that, yeah. you know. And they got the gig, and he, he was the, the his guitarist for like three years. Yeah. Yeah. That was his entry thing. So maybe if you'd heard of the McPeak family, yeah. no, you, know, you could have got a book out of it. I'm from Belfast. Yes. I probably would have done, and we would have bonded, you know. But also, I think, you know, I, I hats off to him, because I do, I do believe in his... I don't know if he's ever actually openly said this, but I always get the feeling that he, he feels that if you want to go forward, you go back. Mm. And, and that, you know, and I've come to believe that myself, you know, that people, people say to you, what new, what new music are you listening to? You think, oh, for God's sake, what does that mean? You know, mm. I don't believe there is anything as new, such thing as new music. There's, there's old music mm. played by new people. Yeah. What do you yeah. What do you make of his American standards? Or have you listened to them? I or? have listened to them, and I I I kind of I kind of enjoyed. I tell you, I enjoyed. I loved. I loved his appearance on the final Letterman when he did the night we called it a day mm-hmm. on the final Letterman. I thought yeah. that was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Wait, I, I, I saw that, and I couldn't. I, I, I'm in my I can't get past his voice phase, which I was in when Time Out of Mind came out. And then I gradually realized Time Out of Mind was fantastic and his voice was perfectly fine. But now hearing his voice with the American standards, for me, I just can't get past it. I couldn't listen to the I bought the triple album and I got through halfway through the second one and I, I gave up. I'm, I'm hoping that one day I will come to it because I saw that and I thought, oh, oh this is I can't listen to this. It's you dreadful. It. I'll tell you what happens with music is my theory, Karen. Yeah. Don't go chasing it. Okay. It comes to you. Yes. Yes. It absolutely yes. comes yeah. to you. It mm. comes to you. It's like Christianity. Yeah. Those that have ears to hear. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. It's when you are attuned to something. That's when the journey becomes valid because it's your journey because you've made the transition from where you are yeah. to the material and you feel like you found it. If someone says to you, listen to this, you'll love it, invariably you won't because your you're. Up yeah, absolutely. Away. Exactly. It's all about the journey. It's like it's like being on stage and, you know, you can't make an audience cry or laugh. They've got to think they cried or laughed of their own volition. Otherwise, it doesn't work. See, I think this particularly applies to music. Yeah, I know. I agree. Mm. More than anything else, because there's no narrative or anything like that to to hold you in if you're not yeah. emotionally yeah, you I'm, know, I'm on I'm the right level. Yeah, I'm waiting for the day when that... 
happens. I am waiting for it. I had, I had that experience with, I don't know if this happened with you, with, with Dylan, but I heard Mr. Tambourine Man as part of all the songs that one listened to, you know, at the time. And then I was doing the dishes like last year and I had Mr. Tambourine Man on and I found it enormously moving. Nothing in my life had happened. I just heard it as if for the first time. It kind of came to me and I, I, you know, I I wept. It was so beautiful. But it has to come to you. It's very often best to hear this stuff isolated. Yes. This is is why my my example is the Night they called it a day on the Letterman thing. It was kind of turning up in the middle of this kind of knockabout comedy on on mm-hmm. American television. Yeah. You had this, you had this moment. I like that, you know. Yeah. And so triplicate, you know, <laughs> it's asking you a lot of anybody, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he always even asks. Frank Sinatra put that much out. <laughs> well, you think Frank, give it a rest. I was happy with one CD of, of these standards, but five, you know, I just come on. Well, he keeps trying. He keeps pushing that? it. I mean, I there's got to be some angle. I don't know. There's got to be some deal with the publisher or something like that. I mean, you know, why you would do that? I admire me. the artist that that does what they want and doesn't care. But yeah, I, but, I mean, I, uh, there are many critics who like. I ended up. I thought I'm not going to buy this one. I bought the other two. I'm not going <laughs> to buy this one. I'm definitely not going to buy this one. And it kept getting five star reviews or four oh. star reviews. And you know, I'm a Don't sucker. I'm a sucker. Not, not. I invented the multi star review, and I'm here <laughs> to tell you it's a cool. <laughs> did you really? I did, man. I God. did. It was when we started Q. I, you know, Mark and I were talking about it, and I said, well, you've got to have something different in the review section. Mm. It's got to be more consumer-oriented. It's got to help people decide what to buy or not. You bastard. Therefore, yeah. you've wasted start. so much money on it. Because the theatre reviews where the, where the star rating bears no relationship to the content of the review. The review says, this is fantastic, you've got to go and see it, and it's three stars. You think, what? What's well, you see, But my theory now is that the honest review for nearly everything is mm. three stars. Because yeah. mm. three stars means, all right, if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> it does, isn't it? It does. But, you if know, you're the kind of person listen. who likes, you know, <laughs> Jack Reacher books or whatever, this is a three... You know what I mean? This is a yeah, yeah, yeah. decent version of something. Mm. Five star means, I know you don't normally like this kind of thing, but this is exceptional. Mm. And the problem is that critics reach for five stars or they reach for one stars mm. one star in order to get noticed yeah. by editors sure. and then by readers you know that's how you get drama on the page and so but, forth but there are big yeah. critics who give five stars sometimes like this i can't remember who it was the triplicate thing i thought okay finally it's gotten there's a critic that i know understand and respect <laughs> and i got suckered in again it's like the rolling stones <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I stopped right. doing I, that. Oh, I, you know, I think I've I bought the I bought the blues album. You know, oh, that got God, great God, reviews. Gary, Gary, you know, I, I, I listen to Gary, it once and put it away. You got my phone number. You can call me <laughs> yeah. any other day of night. I will talk you down. I'm in a record store. I'm thinking of buying a Rolling Stones record. Stop. Move along the counter. Buy the first album. But it was an old album. Stop. I know. You know. I know. But yeah, the Rolling Stones. I was writing about this again the other day. Because uh, I was right, I'm working on a book about the golden age of the LP, and uh, and I can't remember which Rolling Stones album was this. It was one of the mid eighties, mid seventies, no, no mid seventies. Right. And it was, I said, it was the first one to be referred to as their best since Exile on Main Street, because <laughs> 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 obviously 
everyone after yeah. that, as it was called, yeah. their best since Exile on Main Street. They yeah. never mentioned the previous one that they likened to Exile on Main Street. Don't take any notes of critics. You don't need to in this day and age. No, sure. Do you? I, I, I still do. I still do. I've, I've had this argument and, and discussion. I, I think I take notice of the word magazine for I don't want this to be a you know a giant commercial for the word but I bit did late for that. I, it got <laughs> yes it is but okay. in all good shops it was now, great but, so. but I mean it got me onto things like uh, probably Breaking Bad was it still going it was the Wire no the, the Sopranos I was the chief evangelist for the you Wire told me yeah the, the Wire, wire. Yeah. you know and so I wouldn't have I would not have you know I bought all the box sets when they were just coming out yeah. wouldn't have done it mm-hmm. wouldn't have done it except for the word no well, so there are. There's nothing like the word anymore. I'm, let's, you know, not get sentimental, but there's right. nothing Absolute like the friends. word anymore. Yeah. But the, the funny thing is, it, it, it's um, how social media can, you know, uh, step up to this, this problem. Because there's a thing, I follow Ian Rankin. You know Ian yeah. Rankin, yeah, the yeah. detective. We tried to get him for this. So far, we can't get past his agent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and he just, he's on a plane somewhere. I can't even I think he was in the States or something. He said, I've just read so-and-so, so-and-so in, in one sitting. It's fantastic. Mm. That's the kind of thing that's going to go and make me, I'll go and buy that. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah. go and read that. Yeah. I will never read a long review of it. No. At all. I'm just not going to do that. Whereas some tip like that, and the reason those tips work is they're really sparing. They don't happen often. That's true. If he was doing it every week... You wouldn't yeah. take any notice. Yeah. Journalists, by their nature, are doing it every week. Yeah. Whereas social media has now opened you up to all the potential influencers who are not professional. That's And true. their opinion is worth every bit as much as anybody else's. Yeah. Just getting this back to Dylan, because we're winding down. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea where he's going? <laughs> <laughs> do I? No. Just no, for goodness sake! What's it, what's his health like nowadays? I don't know. Well, he's still know. gigging. He's, I mean, I is he's, he, oh, he's gigging he's in every, Australia. He's, he's every day he's just a huge songs. long tour of Australia. Yeah. Okay, what what would you say? Let's let's get maybe negative about Dylan. What would you say is his worst song or his worst cover <laughs> version? Oh, let's good. And a downbeat. Oh dear, what's what well, song did he really massacre? Oh, good grief. Well, I don't know, things like The Boxer, I suppose, from, you know. Good call, yeah. Self-portrait. But, you know, I, I forgive him, you know. I, I forgive him even self-portrait because, I again, I've been right about this, this whole period. If you look at that year, it was bootleg madness. Mm. And these bootlegs were selling all, you know, Rolling Stone were reviewing Dylan bootlegs, saying they're brilliant. Yeah. Bob Dylan thought, I'm going to put my own bootleg out, yeah. for goodness sake. I'm going to get paid for it. Yeah. And then, of course, nobody liked it because it hadn't come to them illegally. It had come to them via the man, you know what I mean? Tell me, there's a thing you, you did on the Word podcast years ago <clears throat> where you played with the notion that someone comes to you and says, I've never heard X, what's the one song I should listen to, which either makes me investigate them further, or if I don't like it, then it, we can fairly say that you, you gave them a good chance. Is there a Dylan song if... if Someone comes up to you and says, I, I've never heard any Dylan. What's the one song I should play? <laughs> I don't know. I go something like, just like Tom Thumbs Blues, I suppose, which is where I started. Which is where we came in. You know, because it's a, it's a great rock and roll song. Mm. And if you don't like that, you probably don't like rock and roll either. You know. <laughs> Thank you, David Hepworth.
Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the Delacroix Suite at VoiceOver Soho Studios. Engineered by Rob Ackerman and produced by Peter Morris. We're on Twitter at Is It Rolling Pod. Music is by Sam Hare. All of us at times, we might work too hard to have it too fast and too much. And anyone can fill his life up with things he can see, but he just cannot touch.